Amen. Well, guys, I want to welcome you to New Life today. Thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging out here today. I want to say a special welcome to everybody that's at the North Platte campus. I want to welcome everybody that's with us from the Ogallala campus that might be watching us from home today because the weather's so bad we had to cancel service out there. But thank God for technology that allows us to still stay connected. We say often that we're one church in multiple locations, and today we're one church in just maybe a few more locations because we've got some people at home uh, watching us, maybe more so than usual. So uh, welcome to New Life. My name's Dave. I could be one of the pastors on staff out at the North Platte campus, and I beat the weather in to Kearney. Uh, I came in yesterday, got to stay with Pastor Nate and his wife, Drew, and, and so uh, who's excited to be at church today? Anybody? Right on. As I was standing there watching this song, I thought I might just come out and tell you I'm excited to be at church and not even ask you guys. All right? That's how excited I am. Uh, part of my excitement stems from the fact that we're in a series called Playlist. And Playlist is all about music. It's all about the songs that we sing. It's about diving into the biblical foundation so we truly know what it is we're singing, why we're singing it, and hopefully... I don't know about for you, but for me, it's definitely inspired another level of passionate worship of God. And if you know me at all, and if you don't, that's okay. I'm going to share a little bit about myself here. Just very briefly, I love music. I absolutely love it. Few things excite me or move me in this world like music does. I think there's something that's just incredibly powerful about music. In fact, music has great influence on our lives, especially here in America. Now, uh, preparing for this message, I wanted to know, on average, how much music an American consumes in a week, okay? And so I found a study, it's a couple years old, but in 2015, on average, Americans listen to music 23 and a half hours a week, okay? Not quite a full day. 2016, that number went up to 26 hours, or a little over 26, about 26 and a half hours a week. And then in 2017, it jumped to 32.1 hours per week. Okay? So music, whether you like it or not, it's all around us. It's incredibly influential. But then when you infuse music with the life-transforming message of God's Word, the truth of God's Word, then music can become not just influential, but highly potent and incredibly powerful. And so it's an honor to get to share with you today in our teaching series called Playlist, uh, a song that we just experienced, at least part of it, called As You Find Me by Hillsong United. We're going to dive into that today. Whether you know much about music or not, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to just try to share a little bit. Uh, today, this song has four basic sections to it. A verse, then it goes to a pre-chorus, and then a chorus, and then a bridge, and that bridge is going to blow you away when we get there, all right? Let's start with the first two verses. The first two verses say this, I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've held everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I've crumbled in the same breath. Verse two, I have wrestled and I have trembled towards surrender, chased my heart adrift and drifted home again, plundered blessing. Till I've been desperate to find redemption. Now, if the song stopped right there, it's a pretty depressing song, isn't it? It's pretty sad. There's no hope in those first 14 lines of this song. There's nothing positive. But the first time I heard this song, I remember being drawn in by these first 14 lines. 
Because they're honest. They're authentic. There's something that I think every single one of us, if we are honest, we can relate to it. These first 14 lines are highly relatable. And the songwriter, one of the songwriters, Joel Houston, said about this song that there's a very human side to who we are. And as songwriters, they wanted to express that. This song is relatable. It, it speaks to our tendency to be self-centered and our desire to be self-reliant. The problem is that's not a winning formula. It's not a winning formula for life. And Jesus said as much. In Luke chapter 9, verse 24, he said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. In those first 14 lines, it's all about trying to hang on to your life, but losing it. When everything's about me, there's no stability. When everything's about me, life's a roller coaster of highs and lows. When everything is about me, my life has no firm foundation this way of life, one where we're in control, where I'm in control, or where you are in control, it leads to failure, brokenness, disappointment. The first 14 lines, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of Jesus. It's all about us and life when we're living it our way. Where does the, the, the brokenness or the instability stem from? Well, each of us, we walk around with a void in our heart. And we try to fill that void. Some of us chase after success and achievement, thinking that that will fill the void, that will satisfy us, that will keep us on a high. Others, we might fill that void or attempt to fill it with drugs, alcohol, sex, porn. Maybe if you're a little younger, maybe it's likes on Instagram that you're chasing. Or if you're younger yet, maybe it's views on TikTok. But we all have something that we're chasing after to try to fill that void. Thankfully, for you and me, this song doesn't stop at the end of those four, first 14 lines that are all about us. The, the last two lines of verse 2 say it, and every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there. Every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there. Right there, that's the definition of repentance. God, I'm going to turn from my way and I'm going to turn back to you. I'm going to repent. Turning to God with sincere regret or sincere remorse changes everything. And the entire course of this song, just like in your life, will shift when it becomes about the Lord and not about us. That's the key to dealing with every single problem mentioned so far in this song. Feeling broken? Turn to God. You've been reckless? Turn to God. Your life is shattered. Turn to God. Crumbled. Adrift. You've plundered every blessing and you're desperate for redemption. Turn to God. See, the powerful truth here is that the power of sin is never greater than the power of repentance. The power of your sin or the power that it has over you is never more important than the power of repenting and turning to God. Why? The Lord is not present in our sin. When we're doing life our own way, when we're living like those first 14 lines, God is not present. God is not there, or we're not factoring him into the equation. But as soon as we repent, then that ushers God into our life. There's a perfect example of this. Jesus tells a story, it's recorded in Luke chapter 15, of a father who has two sons. The father is, is done well. He's got a lot of wealth 
One son is committed. He's dependable. He's hardworking by all accounts. He does what he's supposed to do. The other son, though, you could say is entitled. And he wants his inheritance now. He doesn't want to wait until the father passes away or just when the father's ready to, to pass it on to him. He wants his inheritance and he wants it now. And so the father, I think, realizing, you know what, I, if you don't want to be here, I'm not going to keep you here, gives him the inheritance. And then the son goes off and he squanders it. He squanders it and he does it in just rip-roaring fashion to the point where he, his life sinks so low, he's so broken, his life is so shattered that he finds himself feeding pigs and he's looking at the food that he's feeding the pigs wishing that he could eat that because he is starving. And it's at the, the lowest point in his life, he has this revelation, Luke 15, we're going to pick up the story in verse 17, when he, the lost son, finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's full of regret, full of remorse. He's going to turn back to his father. He's going to repent. So he, the lost son, returned home to his father, who represents God in this, in this story. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, despite what your mom or your dad might have said, parents don't have eyes in the back of their head. Okay? This father doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. He never turned from his son. And when his son repents and comes back to him, the father's waiting with expectation. And he's excited. His prayer's been answered that his son has come back to him. And every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there. That's a powerful truth. That every time we repent, every time we turn away from our selfish ways, the Lord is there. Thank God. You need to know today that the Lord is not going to turn his back on you. He hasn't, and he's not going to. If you've been living your life your way, today's the day that you can turn back to the Lord and find that he's never turned his back on you. In relationship with the Lord is where you belong. And the pre-chorus, the next section of this song, speaks to that. It says, I was found before I was lost. I was yours, God, before I was not. Each one of us is the result of God's masterful workmanship, his craftsmanship. We are his creation. Psalm 139. If you're looking for a, an example of how well God knows you, look up Psalm 139. I'm just going to take one verse of it today. Verse 13, you made, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Before you were even born, you belonged to God. You were his creation. Before you walked away from him, before your selfish desires, before your sin, before my sin carried us away from him, we belonged to him. Furthermore, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6 from the message says, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. And then check this out. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole 
and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Each one of us belonged to God before our sins separated us from him. Thankfully for you and me, God offers us something called grace. The free and undeserved kindness that covers all of our sin. All of the sin, all of the things that you've done that have ever separated you from God can be paid for and covered by his grace. That grace was earned when Jesus died on the cross for you and me. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But the pre-chorus goes on. The first time we sing the pre-chorus, it says, Grace to spare for all my mistakes. The second time we sing it, we're going to sing, You wear the scars for all my mistakes. And that part just wrecks me. It destroys me. It blows me away. That for all the wrong that I've ever done, God, your grace is more than sufficient. That you wear the scars. You took the death that I deserved and you paid for my sin. That blows me away. I would argue that the revelation that God has enough grace for your sin should be the most humbling experience of your life. That when you realize that all of the debt you've racked up, that I've racked up, is paid for, it's incredibly humbling. Leads us to the chorus. And I know, I don't deserve this kind of love. Somehow this kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you still want, but somehow you love me as you find me. So on the heels of the pre-chorus where we sing grace to spare for all my mistakes, and that part just wrecks me, we sing, and I know I don't deserve this kind of love. We've gone from the start of the song where everything is about me, to I don't deserve this kind of love. Incredible things can happen for you spiritually when, when you move from arrogance or ignorance to awareness. Incredible things can happen for you spiritually when you move from a place of pride to one of humility. Why don't we deserve God's immense love? He spells it out for us. Romans 3, 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. No one sitting here, no one in North Platte, except for maybe my wife, she'd be close. Um, no one watching online right now, no one measures up to God's glorious standard. None of us do, because we've all sinned, and therefore fall short of God's glorious standard. Why does that matter? Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. And to what degree is God willing to go to prove his love for us, to demonstrate his love for us. One more verse here, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Although it's offered freely to us, God's grace came at a steep price. 
Our sin is covered by grace, earned by Jesus Christ dying on a cross. Now, verse 3. Who am I to think your glory needs my praises? But if this borrowed breath is yours, Lord, take it all. You are faithful and you are gracious, and I'm just grateful to think you don't need a single thing and still you want my heart. That's profound. God doesn't need anything from you, yet he wants your heart. God doesn't need anything from me, and yet he wants my heart. I have nothing that I can offer the King of Kings. I have nothing that, that would make me somehow be good enough to earn his grace. But yet he wants my heart. The one that created me, the one that knit me together in my mother's womb, wants my heart. He wants your heart as well. When asked which is the most important commandment, Jesus had this to say in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now I find it interesting that the heart is listed first in that list of three things that we're supposed to give or that we're supposed to use to glorify God. The heart's listed first. I believe it's because it's the first domino that needs to fall. Oftentimes we may know what we're supposed to do, what the right thing is, but we don't do it. Maybe because our heart's not in it. So Jesus is saying, you got to love the Lord with all your heart. And if you can do that, then your soul and your mind, they fall in line with your heart. At the end of service, you're going to be given an opportunity to give your heart to the Lord. You're going to have a, an opportunity to surrender your heart to Jesus. Now, I'm speaking to every single one of us. I'm speaking to you if you have yet to do so. You've been here, and we love that you're here, but you've maybe been exploring who Jesus is. You've been trying to figure out who he is. And if you want to follow him or not, you're going to have an opportunity to give him your heart today. Maybe you've faithfully served Jesus for years. You're going to have an opportunity to give him your heart today. To renew your commitment to him. To, to once again come before him and worship and just thank him. He doesn't need anything from us. But yet he wants our hearts. He wants them so badly that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Romans 10, 9 through 10 say this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yet more evidence why God wants our heart. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now I don't have evidence for this. Okay, It's just my take. But I think the songwriters could have looked at these two verses and then got together and thought, okay, let's put some words together that people could sing as a response to these two verses. Let's, I mean, there's incredible importance in these two verses. Let's give people some words that they can sing to express their love, to give their heart to Jesus. And that's what we find in the bridge. The final section of the song says, if you want my heart, I won't second guess. I want to pause there for a second. Don't second guess Jesus today. Don't second guess whether or not you should put your faith in him. Today's the day to do it. Don't talk yourself out of it. He loves you enough that he died for you to extend grace to you, to cover your sin. You may not feel like you're good enough 
for Jesus. Guess what? You're not, but he wants your heart anyway. So don't second guess it. If you want my heart, I won't second guess because I need your love more than anything. And then four of the most profound words ever. I'm in, I'm yours. Say those with me. I'm in, I'm yours. Your love's too good to leave me here. Your love's too good to leave me. God's love is the only thing that will fill the, fill the void that's in our hearts. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that will fill it with any type of satisfaction or lasting effect. And it'll fill it for eternity. And the moment that he can start to fill that void is the moment that we surrender our hearts to him. Now, in closing today, I want to take two lines. We've already read them, but two lines that are disconnected in the song, but yet when you connect them together, there is just incredible truth that we all have to realize today. One's the last line of the chorus, one's the last line of the bridge. You love me as you find me. Say those with me. You love me as you find me. Read this with me. Your love's too good to leave me here. It's as if the songwriters came and hung out at New Life for a while and then went home and wrote this part about it. Because we say often, here at New Life, we will love you right where you are, but we'll love you too much to leave you there. We love you right where you are, with all the sin, with all of the, the past, all of the, the ugliness and the mess of your life. We love you right where you are. But we also love you too much to leave you there. We love you right where you are, and we want to journey with you to the center of God's will for your life. Why? Because that, we believe, is modeling God's love for you. Because that's how he's loved me. He loved me right where I was about 12 years ago when I didn't know if he even existed. And I had all sorts of issues and questions. I had no direction in my life. He loved me right then. But he also said, Dave, I love you too much to leave you there. I've got better things for you in your life, so don't stay here. I love you right where you're at, but there's something better. Why don't you follow me? And new life, we love you right where you are, but we love you too much to leave you there. God loves you right where you are. He does not expect you to clean up all your sin, get your life all together before you come to him. He loves you right where you are. And because he loves you, he won't leave you there. To follow Jesus, we've got to move. To follow Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we can't say yes and stay in one spot. When Jesus began to call his earliest disciples, he was walking along a beach. He, he called some of the fishermen over and he said, come, follow me. They didn't say yes and then watch him walk down the beach while they stayed in the same spot. They said yes and they started moving because he took them on a journey. He has a journey for you as long as you're willing to say yes and then commit to moving. So today, take a step of faith. Right now, God is asking if you'll follow him. What's going to be your reply? What's going to be your response? God is saying, I love you. I have grace for you. I've got something better for you than what you've been living. What will your response be? I encourage you to use these words found in the bridge. If you want my heart, I won't second guess. Because I need your love more than anything. I'm in. 
I'm yours. Why don't you stand to your feet? And as we get ready to respond, I want you to just prepare your heart to bring it before Jesus today in worship. When we get to that point in the song, I just want you to erupt with the most inspired, passionate worship you can offer the Lord as a way of saying, God, you have my heart today. I'm in. I'm yours. Let us pray. Father, the way you love us does not make sense. In our world, it doesn't make sense that you would look at us, sinful people, and see treasure, see people that you love, see people that you want to redeem, see people that you want to take on a, a journey. Somehow, some way, God, you love us in spite of all of our sin. And today we come back to you. We turn to you and we thank you that you've never turned your back on us, that you love us. I pray, God, that you would do something supernatural in us right here in this moment as we turn our focus to you, as we turn our hearts to you, and we give them to you, God. Meet with us here as we sing these words, God, I won't second guess, I'm in, I'm yours. Your love is too good to leave me here. God, I ask that you would be with us, that you would meet us right here and you would take us on a journey today as we worship you. God, we love you and we praise you and we worship you now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.